I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. My guest today is Dr. David Pavon Cuellar, professor of Marxism, social psychology, and psychoanalysis, and author of many books, including From the Conscious Interior to an Exterior Unconscious, and Lacan Discourse Event, New Psychoanalytic Approaches to Textual Interdeterminacy with Ian Parker. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry. Available from Trapart Books, 2019. Now also available on iBook and Kindle. Please visit our publisher's website, www.trapart.net. You can support the podcast by visiting our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash V A N E S S A two three C A R L. Your support is greatly appreciated. For more information, you can visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net, or the podcast website, renderingunconscious.org. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. Just as psychology is predominantly bourgeois, so the bourgeoisie is preponderantly psychological. The bourgeois class has always been the homo psychologicus class. It has always been, so to speak, a mental class that sometimes seemed to have neither body nor external world and to obey exclusively the psychological factor, the ideas, emotions and other impulses coming from the internal world, as Georgi Plekhanov observed in novels of the 19th century. There was nothing here but intrigues in which souls without bodies participate. The corporal, particularly in its sexual expression, is repressed and reappears in a symptomatic way in Freud's hysterics. As if by chance, the symptomatic return of the body and its drives repressed in the dominant class composed of the intellectual workers occurs at approximately the same time as the symptomatic return of the repressed mental capacities of the dominated class, the corporal class of the manual workers of Marx and Marxism. In both cases, among the bourgeoisie and among the laborers, the symptom is the eruption of the truth of monism in the dualistic ideological constructions. One of the consequences of the Marxist findings, the emergence of the inconceivable proletarian soul under the form of class consciousness, is perfectly correlated with the Freudian discovery, 
the revelation of the unconscious where the body of the bourgeois has been confined. The problem is that such discoveries seem to have led not to the reconstitution and liberation of total humanity through the overcoming of the mental bourgeois and corporal proletarian human halves, but to the proletarianization of the bourgeois and the embourgeoisement of the proletariat. Jacques Lacan perceived this very well and showed how the working class regained a master consciousness, a master knowledge, while the bourgeois recovered a slave body. After all, in the kind of society in which we live, there are only models of dominant souls and dominated bodies. No other models are available. This is also something that can be deduced from the point raised by Lacan. A Lacanian reading allows us to complete Marx and Engels not only by considering the bourgeois unconscious correlate of the class consciousness of the proletarians, but also by strategically foreseeing the consequences of both correlative expressions of the return of the repressed. We may fear, for instance, that such symptomatic eruptions of the truth of monism do not have the expected subversive effects because of an irremediably dualistic and classist functioning of subjectivity, society, history and culture. This was already observed by the Frankfurtians, particularly by Adorno, and made them opt for the theoretical critique of the dualist class division, of the tearing of the individual and society, instead of a monist communist solution that could only come from practice and that in any case still did not seem possible. Why would it seem that it is still impossible today, and perhaps always impossible, to overcome dualism and classism? We know the Lacanian response that refers to the real as impossible, to castration and the non-existence of the sexual relationship. This response can complete the forgotten intuition of Marx and Engels about the deep link between patriarchy and class society. Marx and Engels highlight the conjectural simultaneous emergence of the exploitation of man by man and the exploitation of woman by man. According to this hypothesis, the transition from matriarchy to patriarchy coincides with the dissolution of the original community and primitive communism. How is it that private property and the resulting oppressive appropriation of the other originate at the same time as the possession and oppression of women in the monogamous family? We know the Engelsian explanation of the father who exercised his power over the woman in order to be sure that the inheritors of his private property will also be his children. This explanation is crucial but incomplete, because it already presupposes the existence of the private property that should still be clarified, and it thus frames a situation in which there is no longer either matriarchy or communism, which were both practically the same thing and which ceased to exist at the same time. 
We must still explain why the matriarchal community disappears and gives way to patriarchy and private property. What if there was a logical relationship between patriarchy and private property, between patriarchal masculinity and possession possessiveness, between having the phallus and having in general understood as phallic enjoyment, as well as a strictly logical relationship between being the phallus and being that is at stake in desire, between being a woman and the common and singular being, between femininity and community, between matriarchy and communism. These relationships which must be nuanced and complicated through the Lacanian logic of sexuation, have already been delineated by Eric Fromm and the Brazilian Oswald de Andrade. They and others elucidated what would later be well-sensed in feminism, that the anti-capitalist struggle is futile as long as it is not also anti-patriarchal. If we must face patriarchy to fight efficaciously against capitalism, it is not only because capital rests on the possessive logical element of the patriarchal function, but because this same function involves another element that is also at the base of the capitalist system, an element that was pointed out by Lacan and emphasized by the Argentinian psychoanalyst Jorge Aleman. I refer to the masculine for all and its contradiction to the feminine not all. While the feminine not all respects the singularity on a case-by-case -case basis, the masculine for all reduces the singular to the exceptional, to the exception to the real rule, or tends to dissolve it into a generality in which there are no singular cases that are qualitatively different from each other, but simply individual expressions of the general category or units that can be counted and calculated in quantitative terms. Marx and several of his followers have studied how for several centuries since capitalism has progressed in the world, the quantitative dimension of money and exchange value has tended to gain ground over the qualitative dimension of things themselves and their use value. This evolution implies the most diverse transformations, such as those that make us go from the unquantifiable truth to a supposedly quantifiable reality, or from knowledge to data and information. We may raise the hypothesis of two parallel and inseparable historical processes. On the one hand, the progressive symbolization and derealization of the world. On the other hand, the advancement of the generalizing and homogenizing masculine logic of the for all, to the detriment of the irreducibly singular feminine element of the not all. This could serve to explain the development of the masses at the expense of communities, that is, the progression of aggregated interchangeable individuals at the expense of community integrations between different subjects. 
The same could also explain the development of quantitative inequalities between income or capabilities or anything else over the qualitative differences between subjects who are so different that they cannot be judged unequal. Both the development of inequality at the expense of difference and the advancement of the masses at the expense of communities are victories of capitalism over the subject of communism, but also over the subject of psychoanalysis. The irreducibly singular and absolutely different Freudian subject is the only one that can effectively organize with others to fight for communism or to join and not with others to form the community for which the communists fight. This subject has nothing to do with the generalized, interchangeable and quantifiable individuals of the masses of capitalism and psychology. The totalized individuality, closed on itself in its general definition, is the antithesis of what remains incomplete, open, undefined, and pending. The subjects of psychoanalysis and communism respond to the not-all by which they adopt, ignore, desire, struggle, organize, act not with others, make and unmake groups, discussing endless assemblies and try in vain to complete themselves. Instead, the individual of capitalism and psychology obeys the for-all rule that guides most of the psychological tests, the diagnosis of the DSM-5, opinion polls, mass production for undifferentiated consumers, emoticons and likes of social networks, the bourgeois democracy of the countable votes and the biopolitical devices elucidated by Foucault. The dominant ideology in capitalism, the same that gives rise to psychology, makes us imagine that it is the collective that is composed of individuals, while Marxism and psychoanalysis have taught us that it is individuality that is made up of group components that are knotted in it, namely social relations for Marx or mass identifications for Freud. It is the other who becomes one, who makes the one exist, and not the one who already exists and relates to the other. There is, then, no socialization of the individual, as Piaget thought, but an individualization of the social, as Vygotsky recognized. Or better yet, there is a generation of individuals in a discourse of the other, of the big other, that only retroactively, a pré-coup, appears as trans-individual. In this discourse that does not close in a totality and that is not the same for all, that is not all and different for everyone, the subject of Marx and Freud is not an individual subject among others, but the result that is always still postponed, always indefinable and evasive, irreducibly singular and absolutely different. The subjects of Marx and Freud are intrinsically subversive because they resist that which defines them. They do not allow themselves to be caught in any signifier, be it the race, the nation, the father of 
man or of patriarchy or any symbol of power, success, health or normality, especially the most important and irresistible of all in capitalism, namely money, something whose only use value is its exchange value, pure possession, principle of possessiveness and quintessence of enjoyment. Money is the most powerful of the signifiers because it is the most perfect, the purest, the most arbitrary, that is, as Lacan pointed out, the most destructive of any significance, the least dependent on a precise meaning, since it can mean everything by being able to buy everything. However, as Marx remarked brilliantly, money is never enough to buy everything, as its quantitative limitation always prevents the realization of its qualitatively unlimited nature. This inherent characteristic of the signifier produces the insatiability avidity, the typical enjoyment of capitalism, for which we try to possess more and more, to have more and more money to fulfill all that the signifier is and offers us to really possess it, a result that is impossible to realize in any way. By resisting and not just giving in to the enjoyment of money, the subject of Marxism and psychoanalysis, the subject of history and desire, is radically subversive to capitalism. Of course, capital always finds a way to recover what subverts it, there is no need to remember what the communist parties and ego-psychologists have been. However, in addition to what is recoverable, there is always something incurable in the truth that is revealed symptomatically through Marx and Freud. This makes everything in the capitalist reality conjure itself against a revelation. Everything is like an immense reactive formation to refute Freud and especially Marx. Everything is as it is to show how there is no truth in the truth of our uniqueness and our community. Here we must understand the principle of negativity whereby truth is not confined, confused with a reality that Lacan describes as imaginary. Reality is always so wrong and misleading, especially in capitalism, that it cannot but differ from the truth and contradict it. In fact, especially in capitalist society, it is precisely to contradict the truth that reality is what it is when it is constituted ideologically. That is why the truth always has a strange, counterintuitive, incomprehensible aspect as in the work of Lacan. The Lacanization of Marxism, like that of psychoanalysis, can also serve to preserve the truth of what is Lacanized, preserving it as it is, incomprehensible, counterintuitive, strange. Thus, Lacan may also help to prevent capitalism from reabsorbing and recovering what Marx and his followers discovered. Lacanian Marxism should be, for now, at least for now, an entity that is still too irrational to be assimilated to capitalist rationality. 
Perhaps it can never be rationalized, just as it was never possible to carry out the rationalization of the encounter between Marxism and psychoanalysis in surrealism, in which, as if by chance, we find the first Lacanian Marxist, the brilliant René Crevel. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a talk by Dr. David Pavon Cuellar, a professor of Marxism, social psychology, and psychoanalysis in Mexico. For more, please visit the text accompanying this episode to find links, including to his article in Lacan Salon. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry. Available from Trapart Books, 2019. Please visit our publisher's website, www.trapart.net. You can support the podcast by visiting our Patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash v-a-n-e-s-s-a two three c-a-r-l. Your support is greatly appreciated. For more information, you can visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net, or the podcast website, renderingunconscious.org. mystery and power. Come more creative and writers reason why the artistic world can't ultimately accept Taliban, indeed the final, across the world blow. It is a quality that manifests most, spiritual and physical, and perhaps a worthy statement of intent. Thanks again, I look. Writes. Everyone carries a shadow. Documentation. Continues to unfold. Precise confrontation. Conference. Still, I could never avoid thee. To forget nothing and illustrate that would be who we meet, whatever is. A spiral, a serpent's, 
the passions of the soul. Alkistis and Peter. Electricity and elementals. Etonal. There are no existential safety nets. Imagination, not only two, both seen while. The reflected light of the moon isn't brutally revealing, but faint, suggestive, ocularly conducive to occultism. Eyes just gotten to the point. The cool, that is communal, tricks and impressions of association and fantasy. This reflected light is also conducive to beauty. In anything too. States. To couples, that it lessens contrast and thereby inherent dualisms. This has been well used in our own recent of the things that, like-minded, culture through the development of photography and cinema, in which lightning techniques an entire scene have the music lyrics, I believe, we, seen, science, very seldom focus on harsh, directed light, but rather on subtle nuances of reflected light, repetition that matters, but rather the space that is created by the difference. You see this concept, tasteless. Everything is because the sun is simply too bright to watch. We have become accustomed to watching the moon instead. We cherish what's visible and didn't know existed. We know Anything regular is a, for the first time I'm telling, flipped in and how much I need and comfort to the human mind. In the case of the moon, literally so. It's not just a fairly familiar orb in your every move and the sky. We literally see the same side of the full moon most every time we watch it. The full moon, in my time, I'll wrap my heart. Always displays the same side to us as it revolves around its own axis parallel to its revolving over in the sense. His habit with, around the earth, and that takes just about the same amount of time. No wonder, then, we're as ears and minds. 
fascinated by the dark side of the moon as we are in coming out of hers, ourselves, a photograph front of the cafe. The Landau is pulled by two horses. A here were no draw. Coachman and a footman, both in livery, are sitting my typewriter and activity, in fact, in thee, too. I also noticed, as the human gaze has gradually drifted from thee, the microcosmic, over thee further, or to allow for things to time, you see, and millennia. We have also downsized our capacity for, example, a friend bigger contexts. For the sake of official announcement, the golem and the dancing girl, Symbols in mythology used to consist of the most powerful and potent. Great cut-up. Boggling stuff that helps solidify or godly shape. Today we're sadly striving for a brutal demythologizing. Same lines. Processed through technologies that allow neither longevity nor potent symbolism. Where is the expression of it? Associated with mythological moon today. Of life itself. Whether still or moving, particles inside this plastic, buzzers for my, of the tape recorder. After, figures, pattering blindly behind, enhance their lives. Not as tourists who fashion all cultures have revered. Nine force in joint ventures with the matter. Dust, perambulating provender, masculine sun. Of course there are exceptions to the rule. The Germanic language has the moon as masculine and the sun as feminine. I, for the discovery of the mother's masculine force and the sun, a warm, life-giving covering of her own failings and the facts of perception. Climate of the psychic, come back and put what? are attracted to each other and overflow. I am amazed. Have more like each other and sort dead. A key to mythological strength is the use of symbols within the stories told. No wonder that the sun print have been such strong presences in human stories that most often retell sexual tales. We deplete and death and rebirth mysteries. 
into the evening events of art talks and music, is and goddesses, to the sky, attributed to the stronger forces out there in space. Moon goddesses abound. One of the first occurrences of moon divinities is actually a male one. The Babylonian god, Sin. But from there, and we tend to, on, it's been mostly goddesses. Evening. Seems much better. And can become. See it remarkably in the body's fascia. A coherent web of the is to be. The interior of every. And the less it is embodied in the biology. Boys have penises. And a group. Strength. That is constantly situations in individuals' conscious life. On dichotomy. Male. Female. A mark of the primitive. Mirror image. When we begin to break. Break.